This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We did a series, we're doing a series called Power Words, and if you Google Power Words, it's very interesting, you look it up, it's got some interesting stuff in there. Uh, they talk about power words. In fact, they have things you can buy. If you're a marketer or a, a copywriter, you, you write, they suggest that you use words because they say these power words uh, will actually trigger a, a, a psychological or an emotional response. And they're words like um, insanely, stunning, disastrous. Evidently, these are power words. So if you're writing resumes, you want to use power words. And some of their power words like or positivity and directed and strengthened. So what they're trying to do is trying to come up with words that have an impact on, on the ones that are here. I read of a guy who, I guess, I don't know if he self-proclaimed, he calls, calls himself America's crisis guru. And evidently, he's a guy that helps companies deal with negative media. Maybe there's a crisis. And so he helps them. And uh, he has all these power words that you're supposed to use. Now, this is what he says about power words. I had to write it down because this is a big sentence. He said, power words are words of tomorrow and have the energy and punch to get attention and surge beyond the negative and the emotional. Somebody wordsmith that. And so he's talking about power words. Now, the power word I have for you today made no one's list. It's a three-letter word. But when you use it correctly, it can trigger a spiritual response and it can surge you past the negative and the destructive. And the word is but, the three-letter version. <laughs> B-U-T, but. You say, well, but is a, is a conjunction, right? It often links, but here's one of the challenges with using but. If you use it in the wrong place, it can negate everything that came before it. Have you ever had someone apologize to you and they said, I am so sorry I said that but. As soon as they say but, it just wiped out the entire apology. So if you're, if you're, if you're going to apologize, here's just, a, here's just a real simple apology note. If you're going to apologize, just say, hey, I am sorry I said that. Period. Don't add a but to it. As soon as you do, it goes away. So but can do that. But is another word that's used to create a contrast. This man walks into a bar in Baton Rouge, orders three beers. Bartender said, you want them spaced out? He said, no, no, three beers, right, right here. One, two, three. Lined them up, drank them all. He, did, he came in two nights later, did the same thing. Came in a couple of nights later, did the same thing. Finally, the bartender said, look, buddy, you got my curiosity up why don't you just order one beer at a time? I'll bring it to you. Be cold, taste better. Why don't you do it that way? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm from Ireland. He said, and I have two brothers. He said, we grew up close. He said, one's in Belfast, one's in Berlin. He said, so every time we drink, we drink three. It's a tradition. And it reminds us of how close we are to our brothers. So they, great, they started calling him three beer. And he would come in, bartender see him, put the three beers on the, on the table, and he would drink them. Everybody in the bar knew him. And one night he walked in, he ordered two beers. And the bar got quiet. And the bartender poured the beers and he put them across. And finally he said, I think I speak for all of us to say, I'm so sorry about your loss. And the Irishman looked, oh. He said, oh, no. He said, my wife had us join the Baptist church and I had to quit drinking. He said, but it hasn't affected my brothers, though. <laughs> So, so the word but can create a contrast. 
the word but also can be used as opposed to the word yet. Like, for example, she grew up in a bad home, but it did not impact her positive attitude. So it's yet. In other words, the story doesn't end there. And then the, the word but can also be used to create an alternate choice. For example, my family likes to go to the beach in Destin, but Galveston is a lot closer. <laughs> I didn't say it's better, it's just an alternate choice. So but can be used that way. But there's another way to use it, and that if you've had a relationship with the Lord, maybe if you've been walking for him for a long time, you probably said this at some point in time in your life, but God. But God. Something was going on, but God stepped in. Something was going on, but God. And so, in fact, David said this in the Psalms. He said, Lord, how they've increased to trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. When David is saying that, he actually was going through a very difficult time. He was, he was running from his son Absalom, who was trying to take over the entire country. And so when David was saying this, it was a reality for him. He said, there's a lot of people that have risen up against me. He said, I got problems. So what he's not doing, he's not denying that he has problems, but what he's saying is, but God hadn't had the last word on this. Because God is the one who can help me. He can lift up my head. He's a protection for me. He's my glory. That means my honor. And he's the one who lifts up my head. You know, have you ever taken a child's head when they were all cast down and lift their head up? What you're saying is, oh no, this is not done yet. There's another choice here, but God. I started, I looked at that and I thought, man, I've had some but gods in my life. The first church I started did not ever make it, but God gave me a second chance. When a doctor looked at my wife and said, there's nothing we can do for you, the surgery did not work, but God healed her and she's okay. When my daughter was going through such a difficult time, had an abruption, her baby was born, he was in NICU, she almost died, but God stepped in there and he's normal and she's fine. When our marriage was in trouble and no one ever gave us a chance of having it work but God helped us and our marriage has gotten stronger over and over there are but God and so listen so that means we always keep that situation where you think man it looks bad in my life you could always say yeah but God he's the one who can step into this let me give you three quick stories this morning three out of the Bible and they're all phrases that deal we call them impactful but phrases and so Pun intended. Let's go. All right. <laughs> but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is a powerful phrase. This is what Joshua said. End of his life, Joshua is addressing the entire nation of Israel. And he got them together and he recounts for them everything that God did, how he brought them out, how he made them a people, how he protected them, how he fed them. He's saying, but look, if you, you, know, if, if you don't want to serve the Lord, if that doesn't seem right to you, he said, you choose. In other words, there's a choice here. Aren't you glad God gives us choices? We're not puppets. We have a choice. He said, you choose who you're going to serve. He said, but, he said, in other words, I've made my choice. There's a contrast here, and I know which way I'm going. But for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. 
It's a powerful phrase because Joshua's saying, it's your choice. He said, I'm telling you who I'm choosing. Me and my whole family, we're choosing to serve God. A powerful but phrase. Here's the next one. David uses it. It's found in, in uh, 1 Samuel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, the backstory on that is David and his men, about 400 men, had come away from, a, a, they were getting ready to go to war. They got sent home. They're coming back home, and a group of Amalekites, a pretty bad group of folks, wiped out their town, burned it to the ground, and kidnapped all their wives and their children. No one was killed. Everyone was kidnapped. I, I think in some respects, sometimes being kidnapped might be worse than having them die because you have no idea what's going on. So now he's, he's thinking, what are they doing to my wife? What are they doing to my children? He's got that kind of pressure on him. And then his own men turned on him because they're all bitter and they're upset and hurting people hurt people. And so they're lashing out. They're going to kill him. So now he's got a physical threat going on. So he's got that internal anguish. His mind is probably going over and over again. What are they doing to my family? Then he's getting ready to, to, to step out and talk to his men and probably somebody holds him back and said, David, you don't, you don't want to go out there. They're going to kill you, man. They're upset. They're going to kill you. And so the Bible said David was greatly distressed. That's, the Bible doesn't throw adjectives around. Greatly distressed. I mean, it was a bad situation. He said, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, it didn't say he found strength when the problem was over. It said he found strength in the middle of a difficult situation. So in the middle of all that pressure, in the middle of all that difficulty, the Bible said David found strength. Now, I don't know every way he did it, but I will tell you this. If you read the Psalms, you see over and over again, David is always talking about that God is the strength of his life, that God will help him. And David somewhere learned how to tap into a God who can strengthen him in the middle of this situation. And what David was saying is, this, this, ain't, this story doesn't stop here. There's more to come. David wound up taking taking the, all his wives and his kids back. He, he rescued everybody. He got all his stuff back. In fact, they got more stuff back. David trusted God, and God was his strength. But God. Here's the, here's the third but God. It was in Hezekiah. Hezekiah was facing a huge army, and he was the king of, of Judah. He was a good king. People were serving God, doing all the right things, and an army comes out against him. Here's what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there's a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Hezekiah was looking out, and he saw the same thing everybody else saw. We've got a problem here. And there's a formidable army. It's coming our way. And Hezekiah made, made a choice. He said, guys, we can, we can look at two things. We can look at what, what this army has, or we can look at the fact that God is with us. And Hezekiah chose to encourage the people by saying, listen, they're a big army, but there's more with us. They're a big army, but God is with us, and he will help us, and he will fight our battles. And the scripture said that the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah said. It didn't say they, they gained confidence when everything was over, but when they were still facing the problem, the people gained confidence by what he said. That's a power word. When you say something and people get confidence from it, that's a good word. Have you ever said anything and had somebody just go, oh, I feel horrible. You just discouraged me. But you can say something and have it lift people. 
When Hezekiah said, but God is with us, that encouraged the people and it lifted them. Now, these are three quick stories and they're interesting stories, but here's the, here's the, here's the power behind it. These stories are not just great historical stories. They're powerful examples of patterns we can add to our own life. So let me give you three impactful but phrases for you. The first one is this. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now that's a powerful phrase, but it immediately creates a contrast. Because when you decide, I'm going to serve God, it puts a contrast in between so many people that don't. I know you're here today. You came on a Sunday. You could be doing something else. You honored God by coming. But it takes that kind of commitment. And when you say, but for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, you're making a choice that begins to impact all the other choices you make and your values. But for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a powerful phrase. Now, many of you have been around, who've been around the ark for a while. If you've listened to me and you listened to Joy, you have figured out that we are not perfect, especially joy. And, and so, <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, we are, neither one of us is perfect. We, we've told you where we've made mistakes in our marriage, where we've made mistakes in raising our kids. We've told you how we've had to apologize. We've to, I think you figured out, and you say, in fact, it bothers some people. Some people are like, you know, Alan, I wouldn't share that kind of information. Listen, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, he does not exist. The only one who's perfect is Jesus, and they crucified him. The rest of us are learning. The rest of us, the rest of us to use a millennial word, are still on our journey. <laughs> we are on a journey. So it's a journey together. So I've told you some areas I've messed up. Let me tell you an area of, of Joy and I that we've talked about that, that we never apologize for. And, and I want to help you with this because this, this, it might be new to some people or maybe different. We've never apologized for making a declaration as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Now, we, Joy and I decided early on. He said, well, Alan, of course you're going to serve God. You're a pastor. You're for crying out loud. It's your full-time job. You come to church, and that's where your office is. And there's heavenly choir singing somewhere in, in, in the office place. <laughs> no. Actually, Joy and I made this decision back when we were, she was working in a hospital, and I was working for sales for Wrangler Jeans. But for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And we made that choice. And when we had kids, we decided that the kids weren't going to be the center of our life. God was going to be the center of our life. And for me and my kids, me and my household, we're going to serve God. And when my children became older and they said, we don't want to go, we said, sorry, you're going. And because you're in my household and as for me and my household, we're going to serve God. Now, I realize that sounds, that sounds today, that doesn't go over too well. Like, Alan, I, 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 don't, want to make, I don't want to influence my kids. I, I want them to make their own choices. I've got news for you. Newsflash, Sparky. They will make their own choices. Trust me, they will make their own choices. They will leave your home one day and they're going to make choices and you're going to get to watch. But while they are in my home, I'm going to do everything I can to influence them and to encourage them to go towards God. I'm going to do everything I can. And you know what? Say, did your, did your children like it? No, they did not like it. And I, was, I, I had been amazingly unpopular for periods of years, I have been unpopular. <laughs> and you know what? It's a, but I will tell you this, 
there is something that happens. There's something that kicks in at about age 25 when your kids come back and go, oh, you weren't as stupid as I thought you were. Oh, <laughs> thank you. But here, here's the thing. Listen, I, I, and, I, and I know and I, and I hear people and there's so many things, so many things pulling for our attention. But let me encourage you through this. If you determine you're going to serve God, it's going to make a difference. It will make a difference. Joy and I have said, this has been the difference maker in our marriage. We dealt with a lot of stuff. But through it all, our big thing was we're going to serve God. And it has a promise connected to it. It's found in Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, he wrote Timothy, he said, for physical training, exercise is of some value. But godliness, or we could say living for God, has value for all things. It holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Do you realize that serving God, living for God, is it easy? No. There were times when Jordan and I were the most unpopular uh, parents on the block because we would not let our kids do some of the things other kids did. But we just, hey, listen, but it has a promise for this life and it has a promise for the life to come. Do you realize that this life is the shortest thing we'll ever do? That if, if you took a, if you took a one-inch cable and stretched it as far west as you could go, I guess west is that way, west, as far west, past Montgomery, all the way past California, all the way, and it just continued over the Pacific Ocean, and then you took it and it went east, and it went past Beaumont and Baton Rouge, and went all the way out over the Atlantic Ocean, it just kept going. It just kept going out just forever. That would represent eternity. And if you took a, a, a ballpoint pen and made a scratch on that on that one-inch cable, that would represent the time that we have here. Compared to eternity, what we have here is so small. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's valuable. But if I could help you with anything, I said, don't just live for this. Live for this. Live for God. It has promise. It will bless this, and it will bless the life to come. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Here's the next one. But God will give me strength. We all face difficulties. We all face pressure. I don't know anyone who's still living that hasn't faced some pressure. We live in a world heavily influenced by fear and by pressure. And often you hear people, you see people doing stuff many times. They're just simply trying to get out from under the pressure. Why do they abuse alcohol or drugs? Often it's to get out from under pressure. Why do they get into escapism? To get out from under pressure. So people are trying to do that. And the idea is like, I, I just want God to take away all the pressure. Listen, life has pressure. It's pressure, 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 and then like extreme spurts of pressure, and then pressure, and then maybe a little bit of pressure, but it's, it's pressure. It's life. It's living. And so if you have life, you say, I, God, I need you to take away all the pressure from me. I was sitting on a plane one time going back. I was trying to move my family. I'll never forget this. I got out my Bible, and I was just reading my little New Testament. And I, I was reading, and I read... I read um, in, in Philippians 4.13 where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's just in the quiet of the plane, sitting on that plane, I, I didn't hear a voice, but it's like the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, son, you don't need less pressure. You need more strength. And I realized it's, it's, not, the, it's not trying to get all the problems and the pressure to go away. It's the strength to deal with them. And so you can, God can strengthen you on the inside or you get stronger than the pressure on the outside. Look what David said in the Psalms. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. 
You realize that God can strengthen you on the inside? He can give you the strength to handle the difficulty to go through it. No, Alan, I want God to take away all my problems. Listen, some of your problems you're married to. Some of the problems call you mama or daddy. Some of the problems are your in-laws. You can't say, Lord, kill them all. So how do you deal with that? You say, Lord, strengthen me that I can handle these problems. Strengthen me. Lord, I'm crying out to you. And the Lord can make you bold. That word bold actually means stormy. He can put a storm on the inside that's greater than the storm on the outside. And that is a blessing. They did a, did a bathosphere a number of years ago, which was a big round ball. In 1934, they dropped it 3,000 feet. Two explorers in there were in this amazing, this amazing piece of equipment at that time. No one had ever done it. It had walls of steel, an inch and a half thick, and, and windows of quartz, three inches thick. When they got down there with all this pressure at 3,000 feet, they looked out there, and they were amazed to find fish swimming past them. Fish with lights on their head, alien-looking fish. Some were translucent. They didn't have an inch and a half thick skin. They had thin skin. In fact, some you could see straight through their skin. So how in the world could that happen with all that pressure? Wouldn't it crush those fish? No, because these fish, God made them in such that the pressure on the inside was greater or equal to the pressure that was on the outside. When you begin to say, God, you're the strength of my life. You're the strength of my life. And Joy and I were talking about this. We, Joy critiques all my messages. She has two times to critique them. She said, you know, Alan, she said, if you'll help people with this, she said, I, I think you'll help them. She said, when you begin to say, I'm going to serve God, then you when you begin to say things like, and God is the strength of my life, it gives you a confidence. Because you didn't just plug God in or when you needed him. You got a relationship with him. And you're for him, and he's for you. And so you begin to say, Lord, you're the strength of my life. I'm, I love you, Lord. I'm serving you. I'm worshiping you. My heart is inclined towards you. And you're the strength of my life, but God but God can strengthen me. Here's the last one, but God is with me. Sometimes in life, we can look out and go, I am outnumbered. I am outnumbered and outmanned. I am in a weak position. But that's, there's another alternative. There's another way to look at this. I can, look at, I can just simply look at the situation and go, what I'm seeing is not good. But what about what you're not seeing? What about if you're not seeing the fact that God is still with you? And again, you're for him. He's for you. Uh, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. If you look around today, everything you see is going to change. Everything. I'm going to change. You know, we've been doing this almost 23 years now. I have changed. Every time I see pictures, I'm like, dear Lord, how young was I back then when I started this thing? It changes. Everyone changes. Things change all the time. One day, this building won't be here. Things are constantly changing, but there's one who never changes, and he's eternal. And we begin to say, Lord, I'm not, not just looking at what I see. I'm looking at what I don't see. The American Indians, there's a tribe that had an interesting ritual for their young braves. They would, about 12 or 13 years old, that age of puberty, before they would become a, a brave, they would blindfold them and march them out into the woods, way up miles, probably told them stories about how dangerous it was. These young guys had no idea where they were going. They would sit them down in a clearing and instruct them when they could take the, the blindfold off. When they took the blindfold off, they're in the dark, they have no weapons, 
and they're in the, they have no idea where they are. They have to spend the night there. Can you imagine all the stuff they would hear? They'd hear a, a, a twig snap, they think. Could that be an enemy? They hear a wolf howl. Are they coming for me? Hear a cougar scream. You, you know that had to be difficult. How glad they were when morning began to dawn. And when it began to dawn, they looked, and that, and that thing they thought was, a, was a, an animal was a rock, and what they thought was a man was a tree. But then the young brave would look around, and he would be startled because there'd be a man standing behind him, fully armed. And as the light got lighter and lighter, he was, a, <clears throat> excuse me, he was amazed to see it was his father. His dad had been there the whole time. He didn't know it, but his dad was close by. And so if an animal had attacked or an enemy had attacked, dad was there. Now, here's, here's my thought. What would it be like if a, if a father cheated the system and told his young son, now, son, tomorrow they're going to take you off into the woods. They're going to blindfold you. The whole journey, they're going to tell you scary stories. But son, I'm there. When they leave you in the woods, you're going to think that you're all alone. But son, I'm there. I'm right behind you. I'm not talking to you, but I'm there. Just trust me, son. I'm going to be there. Don't you know that would make a difference? Young boys walking all blind, they're telling him stories about how dangerous it is, and he probably stops and thinks, yeah, but my daddy's with me. Yeah, but my daddy's with me. They leave him. He's standing there alone in the middle of a clearing. There's nobody around him, and he hears a twig snap. He thinks, could be, could be an enemy, but he thought, hmm, but my daddy's with me. He hears a wolf howl, and he goes, oh, wolves. But he thought, but my dad is with me. Wouldn't that make a difference in his life? Even though he couldn't see dad, even though he couldn't hear dad, if he knew dad was with him, it didn't matter what came down his way. He knew that dad was with him. Listen, we got a promise greater than that, a young man. Indian brave. We've got a God who said he would never leave us nor forsake us. So when we hear the wolves howl and we hear the problems, we can go, but God is with me, but God is with me, but God is with me. And that, that's a power phrase. But for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. But God will give me strength. But God is with me. Man, those are powerful phrases. You can use them. Try them. Put them in your life. And here's one more. It's a great power phrase. It says, but God demonstrates his love towards us that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the greatest but God will ever see is that when we weren't doing anything right, God sent his son for us. Would you bow your head for a moment? Please, I'm asking no one to leave or move. We'll be out of here in just about five minutes or less. But this... Today, if you came and you say, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, I know that. He knows that. But I want to. Or maybe you're like I was. I was raised in church, and I got so far away from God, I realized I needed to come home. If either one of those situations applies to you, we're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. We're trying to help you make a connection with the one who can absolutely change your life, who can make it such a huge difference in your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. That's you that I'm talking to. You say, Alan, I want to be sure. Or, Alan, I want to come home. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you real quickly, slip your hand up across the auditorium. Say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Great, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you for your courage. Anybody else? Yeah, I see hands that have gone up all over. Anybody else say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thanks. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hands. Sometimes that's tough. I realize, my I don't know that I can do that. 
Here's what you can't do. We're going to pray this prayer. You pray it with us out loud. Pray it so you can hear yourself pray it. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, the head's still bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Many, Father, have stepped out of darkness into your wonderful light, and some have come back home. Thank you, Father. Both are welcomed with open arms, and we rejoice with them. It's something that's taken place in them that will last for eternity. Thank you for that. We give you all the praise, and Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we can serve you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you give us strength. We appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.